What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. I have a Coke here, and uh, I mean, I had some Hershey Kisses before I came over here. On Squawk Pod, Warren Buffett, the world's most famous investor, and we're bringing you the full interview. The Berkshire CEO on high prices. Inflation is always a possibility, and by inflation, I mean extreme inflation. And what to do about it. You can disrupt an economy a lot easier than you can put it back together again, and, and we've had some close calls on that. Buffett weighs in on issues across business, artificial intelligence. I don't really understand it. I think it's an incredible technological advance in terms of showing what we can do, but I don't know whether we know what, what happens. Risk. I don't want to change the world too many times without knowing, having some idea of the consequences of it. And cryptocurrency. People love the idea they're going to make more money tomorrow, and it really drives them crazy if their next door neighbor is making a lot of money not knowing what they're doing. The gambling instinct is so strong. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. The last in a special Squawk Pod series, Warren Buffett in Japan, begins right now. I've just been lucky. Today on the podcast, the last in a special series with Warren Buffett. The Berkshire Hathaway chairman and CEO is perhaps the world's most famous investor, sitting at the head of a $690 billion conglomerate that owns insurance companies, the brand Geico, suites like Dairy Queen and Seas Candy, airlines like NetJets, and railroads like Burlington Northern, brands like Duracell and Fruit of the Loom, all of those and dozens of other companies are assets in the Berkshire Hathaway portfolio. Berkshire's investments also include large stakes in publicly traded companies like Apple, Bank of America, and Coca-Cola. Mr. Buffett has, unusually for him, he likes to stay close to home, traveled to Japan this week, where he has revealed increased investments in the country's five largest trading houses. Our Becky Quick was on site in Tokyo and sat down with the Oracle of Omaha on a range of topics, inflation, investing in energy companies, even what the 92-year-old eats. In this excerpt, you'll hear Becky as well as questions from Squawk Box's Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Becky kicks things off. Warren, you can talk about inflation and what's coming and what's going, but we've got the CPI number coming up. And I think you probably have better information than Janet Yellen or Jay Powell, just in terms of what's happening on a day-by-day basis. You have so many businesses that Berkshire owns outright. You have so many big companies that you own a major stake in. Um, what do you think about inflation? Have, have we seen the worst of inflation? Is it rolling over? Is it coming down steadily? Well, inflation is always a possibility. And by inflation, I mean extreme inflation. I mean, and uh, uh, it's a possibility. I mean, just look at the countries and what they've done. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many times. Uh, and, and, and eventually, they almost lead, well, they can lead to terrible things, led to terrible things in Germany. Uh, and and uh, uh, you want people to trust their money. I mean, if they really have a flight for money, that it, the economy doesn't work. But in 1942, when I bought uh, my first stock, I mean, we, 
we were going to pour money into people's pockets and they couldn't buy anything. They couldn't buy cars, they couldn't buy, I mean, uh, that they couldn't buy washing machines or anything else, but they had money flowing into them. And of course, uh, we had price controls and we did various things and the war ended in August of 1945. And for a little while, uh, uh, the fact that there was all this money sloshing around and, and people wanted to buy things because they hadn't been able to buy for three or four years and women had gone to work and all of that sort of thing. And I think the inflation rate went from something like 1% in January of 46 to by the end of the year it was running at 15% or something. I mean, if you give people a lot more money uh, put in their pocket than, than uh, uh, that you've got in corresponding goods and services being turned out, you know, that money is going to become worth less, not worthless, <laughs> worth less. We had that. <laughs> and that's happened periodically. It, I mean, we've had incredible inflations in certain countries. If you look it up in, on, on, on search, you know, it, the greatest inflation. We've, we've had a post-World War II in various countries. I mean, it, and there comes a point when it gets out of control, it is out of control and it screws everything up and it's not good for uh, society. There are certain people who profit on it, obviously, that anybody that's borrowed a lot of money, uh, but the citizenry, it, it, it is not good for society. And, and uh, government has the responsibility for making sure that they issue the, the currency. And it's the only thing that's legal tender. And, and you know, that, that you need to have I think Charlie mentioned it even on the, the, the currency is one of the great inventions of mankind. You don't want to go around all the time trying to trade your services, you know, in terms of giving somebody eggs and trying to get back a watch and then trying to trade your watches. I mean, you, you want something that is, that is, you need something in a society that's legal tender. And, and, but it's important how you treat it. And uh, the United States has been pretty good at it. Uh, really quite good, but, you know, if you look over the years since I've been investing, I mean, you know, there's been a 90% plus loss in purchasing power. Mm -hmm. But it sounds to me like you are more worried about inflation than recession. Is that fair? No, I, I, I think either one can cause a lot of trouble, and recessions can turn into depressions. I mean, you know, it, I mean, it, it, it is, we've got a great, great, country and it can it gets messed up by depressions i mean i i lived through i was born in 1930 and the dow didn't get back to the level it was it was higher than when i was born for about five days and i got out of college before it got back to that point and it wasn't that the american people had turned bad or anything else but we got something that fed on itself and banks failed and i mean you can disrupt an economy a lot easier than you can put it back together again and and we've had some close calls on that. And I think we've had some, well, I think in, in 2007 and eight, I mean, I think Hank, Hank Paulson said, you know, that we'll use the Economic Stabilization Act, which was enacted back in 31, and all of a sudden we'll get guarantee money market funds. And, and it was a good idea to do. Whether he really had the authority to do it, I don't know, but he was sure the right guy in the job. And so we don't want to we don't want to mess up our economic machine, and and it can be done. So how by do we inflation. mess it up? How do we mess it up? Is, is should the Fed keep raising rates? Is inflation at bay? What do you think? Well, I basically, 
it, it, fiscal policy scares me more than monetary policy. Yeah. Meaning that we, I, I think, that we I think it, it. I think it is easier to obtain votes if you give people money. And I think that just like I want to keep my job at, at Berkshire, I want to get elected next year. And uh, fortunately, I have enough stock. And everything. You know, I can do it. And if I was in a super, super, super safe district, maybe I would vote my conscience in, in, in Congress. But who knows how I'd behave unless I was there. But I, my dad was in Congress, and I got to do how it behaved then. And I don't think its behavior has improved. You know, since 1942, when I first went there and had lunch with Sam Rayburn one time. So you think that Congress is going to screw it up by continuing to spend they more can. money and Jay Powell is going to be in the position of having to continue to raise rates? They, I, don't know what, I don't know what they're going to do, but it, if you ask me the things that are I think about in terms of taking care of millions of people's savings who entrusted me, uh, that's one of the calculations I have in my mind, and I, I have said in the annual report that that uh, that we will ride along with America, and 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 uh, if we can't, we we can't necessarily predict how we would come out in a wild inflationary period, but it'd certainly be better than you would do in, in the unit the unit of currency, and that's the best I can do, and and. Believe me, I think about it, obviously, and we own a lot of good businesses, and the railroads will continue to run, no matter what the currency does. The, you know, the, the insurance company will continue to insure people, and Garen will continue to turn out animals for kids. I mean, we, we, are, we are a cross-section of America's economy, and, and, and uh, we're going to behave in a way that we'll be the last person standing. All right, I'm going to ask you one more time, because I don't think you want to answer it. <laughs> I know you don't want Jay Powell's job, but if he asked you if he should keep raising rates, what would you say? I would say he should do whatever he thinks is in the best interest of the United States. And, and if he said, and, what do you think is in the best interest of the United well, States? Well, I'd say that that's why I didn't ever want to be chairman of the Fed. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very, very tough job, because you have to deal with Congress. You have to deal with banks. You have to, I mean, it, and... The biggest problem is, is, is uh, in the end, Congress can, can uh, torpedo your job. And I hate to, I, I'd hate to have a job where something that somebody else can do can uh, essentially neg uh, nullify any actions I take. And, uh, you know, Paul Volcker faced that. And, and I looked at him one time in the 1980s. I look up like that because I mean, he, was, he was even bigger looking in person. And I said, you know, what can you do under that exigency clause or whatever there was in the... In the and Walker basically said, I'll do what I need to do. And, you know, he says, what are they going to do, come down and arrest me, you know, basically? And the Supreme Court going to put me in jail or something? You know, I, I mean, he... He felt that it was his job to do what was right, and I think Jake Powell feels exactly the same. And I, and actually, I feel most people in there, in that job, overwhelmingly, they, they want to do it. But I, I think some of them haven't been as smart about it as others. Hey, Joe, you want to take a crack? Always going to uh, shift gears a little bit, Beck. Although obviously, energy prices have a huge effect on on inflation, Warren. But I, I, I was struck by the article on Oxy. 
uh, that was in the journal and about how much money uh, is, is being spent by the company. I think with your blessing on, on carbon capture, and I, I guess I'm just trying to figure out how you feel we should transition, uh, how long it should take, how much hydrocarbon production we need to, to, to continue with. Um, there are, you know, depending on, on a continuum, you can find people that think we should spend $20 trillion over the next, I don't know, 15, 20 years on the transition, which would obviously impact growth around the world. There, there, there's got to be a way to do this where we can continue to grow. And I'm wondering, you know, if you think we're doing it effectively, is, is Oxy a model for how we, we should, Occidental a model for how we should be doing it, in your view, Warren? I certainly think Vicki Holub at Occidental is an extremely competent, good citizen of America. And I, I really like, she understands oil and she understands political realities and she understands what is happening between the, <laughs> below the surface of the, uh, of, of, of the country. And she's, she's, she is extremely concerned with ways to have, have carbon capture, capture. I mean, it, but I don't, I think your figure of 20 trillion is way, way low. I mean, it, it, we're producing, the world needs 100 million barrels a day or something like that uh, at present. And you've got this enormous problem that the United States put a good bit of the carbon into the air and then they say to the rest of the world, you know, you can't do that. And besides that, you ought to chip in. And <laughs> I mean, it, it's a very tough problem for, for, it seems to me, somebody that has been uh, responsible, a country that has been responsible for putting the carbon, uh, starts saying to everybody else, you can't have any, you know. Uh, so it's got, it's an enormous problem. It's an ever-present problem. And, and you really need somebody that uh, understands the dimensions of it and, and what can be done with carbon right. capture. But you will I, not, you will be producing more oil in the five years from now or about the same amount. And if you spent trillions of dollars now, you'd still be needing it. it, it you can't change the world that fast. Right. I, I guess I, I've heard Charlie talk about it. I think he thinks that, that maybe some of the hysteria is overdone on, on the entire uh, subject. I mean, we could, we could spend an awful lot of, of capital and GDP globally on dealing with this problem. I've asked you this before in terms of your insurance companies. At this point, how much worse are your payouts for adverse weather events compared to historically for what you've seen? Well, uh, it, 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 it's essentially nothing. And we, we are writing more cat cover this year, actually, than we were writing last year because the prices are somewhat better. And actually, you know, I don't know a damn thing about hurricanes, but, but, uh, but in terms of, you know, El Nino or whatever it may be, it, it's... Slightly, it's somewhat more probable that it, that we have a good hurricane season. I mean, a good one being a low one than than last year. But but there's all kinds of chance events, and that's what we insure people against. But but can you say with without Warren? Can you say without hesitation that you you need to charge much higher premiums because these things are happening much more frequently? Because that's we're consi we're considering spending no, 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 in terms no. of. 
No. We're charging higher. We're, we're charging higher prices, Joe, because prices got too low. I mean, we're, we're, we're the price level for hurricane insurance is not. I mean, if you take Florida as an example, for example, we say we'll we'll insure against any event that causes more than $50 billion of damage in Florida. You know, there's all kinds of reinsurance contracts, but those are those have been priced well below what they were uh, some years ago. And, and, and we we didn't think we were getting paid enough. Uh, but now prices have moved back up somewhat and we. You know, Ajit calls me and says, how much are you willing to lose in a single event, you know, in, in, in Florida or, or Texas or, or earthquake? And I said, you know, we can lose $10 billion and nobody else can play in that game. Uh, and so now it hasn't been it's not as attractive as it's been at different times. But but the auto insurance, which we've done big through Geico, the average price of our policy when I went in in 1950 was, I don't know, 50 or 60 bucks, and now it's over $2,000 a year. And, and we even went, the whole auto insurance industry went from pricing the stuff for a yearly policy to changing it every six months. I mean, we are not issuing any 20-year policies or 30-year policy. And it's not a special risk for insurers. You just keep adjusting your prices to the risk as the, as the risk changes. And, and you can argue, uh, I sure as hell don't wish it on anybody, but you can argue inflation is basically good for insurance because you write, you know, you get much bigger premiums on much bigger coverages. And, and, and that's actually happened in auto insurance. While, while the, the autos have gotten safer, you know, and it isn't everybody is. Uh, driving terribly compared to the way they drive 20 years. The accidents per 100 million miles driven, you know, has gone down a lot. But the price of insurance, auto insurance, has gone up like 30 or 40 for one. And it went up, it was going up at a fast enough rate that the insurance company said, we're not going to say give you a one-year policy, we're going to give you a six-month policy. If it was going fast enough, we'd give a one-month policy or a 30, you know, 15-day policy. Uh, you know, we'd, we are not committing ourselves as to what, Insurance is going to cost in respect to climate 30 years from now, and we, it is not a special risk to the insurance industry. Now, people don't get that, but it really isn't. I mean, and, and we're backing it up with money every day. Warren, let me just ask you um, about the economy. We have heard recently from Jamie Dimon in his annual letter uh, at J.P. Morgan. He says a recession is much more likely now Janet Yellen was just speaking, I think, in the last 24 hours, although it's hard to track from here when things are happening, has just said in the last 24 hours, I think, that the U.S. is in better shape now than it was six months ago. Which of those camps would you put yourself in? Well, I, I, I know what a lot of different businesses are doing, and I just got a report from one of them that happens to be in the retail-related business. And in any event, you know, it was minus 22% in February from a year ago. And they sales? didn't think that was going to happen. Sales? You mean in sales. Profit? Yeah. In sales. Profits are down a lot more than that. On the other hand, some of our businesses are still doing fine, but they all are reporting that the new, you know, some of them are living off of orders were placed months earlier and that sort of thing. But, but uh, it's a tougher world out there in a great many businesses, not in the insurance business. Uh, insurance business should be better this year than last year. That doesn't mean it will be because we, we can't predict everything that happens, but on a probability basis, it should be better than last year. And the railroad business is down. 
uh, and carloads carried, uh, but it isn't dramatic. And of course, we've got a utility business, and that doesn't really vary much with things. So, it, but overall, I think people that run our businesses that do have any sensitivity to the economy are surprised at where they are now compared to where they thought they were going to be six months ago. That doesn't mean the world is coming to an end or anything, because 58 years I've been running Berkshire, I mean, we've run into all kinds of problems, but, but that's, that's what business is about. And, and, and we run our business so that we don't depend on everything being big hunky-dory always. We run it so that we will be the last man standing. And, and, and that's the way if, if millions of people are going to give me their money and tell me to take care of it, we're going to try and take care of it. And if we don't make as much money as we might have if we'd leveraged more or done other policies, so be it. But you think a recession is more likely now than maybe you would have said six months ago? Well, I think most of our managers would say that they are surprised at where they are now compared to how they thought they were going to feel six months ago at this point. And in a lot of businesses, but yeah. not in the insurance business, you know. And, and uh, uh, but I think the people at the railroad are, are somewhat surprised that car loadings aren't a little higher rather than a little lower, you know, somewhat lower. But most of the stuff we carry is, is essential, but, but it reflects what's happening. And, and of course, Supply lines were so disrupted and everything a year or two ago that, uh, uh, you know, no economic figures are pure, but I will, I'm just telling you my impression. And I look at the numbers every day. I mean, I can, I look at our Easter sales day by day at the candy store and I, you know, I can look at California versus Washington versus Oregon and I can, I get them the next day. I mean, I, so I, I, I love figures, you know, I, in, say that it doesn't really do me that good to be such a figure not, but I just like them when I see them. <laughs> in terms of the potential for a credit crunch, coming through what the banks are going through right now, there's been a lot of speculation about what that could mean to the economy. Is it going to mean a 0.5% hit to GDP? Is it going to mean a 1% hit to GDP? What would you guess? I would say that I've been in business running Berkshire for 58 years, and I've never found economic forecasts of any use to the company. And, and all we have to do is keep running every business as well as we can, and we got to keep plenty of cash on hand so that people can keep making intelligence decisions rather than those forced upon them. And that's all we know how to do. And if I depended in my life on economic forecasts, you know, I don't think we could make any money. I don't know how to do it. And, and you know, People want to get them, so they get them, but, but uh, it, doesn't, it has no utility. When I, when I find one of our companies has hired somebody to tell them what's going to happen in the economy, I mean, they've thrown the money away as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> All right, so you had 120... Other than that, I'm, I'm very tolerant. <laughs> okay. I, Berkshire had $128 billion almost in cash at the end of the year. Cash and the, treasury bills. And, and, and treasury bills. And, and, and a, a, a bit in money market government bond only uh, money market funds. Uh, but we've never, we don't own commercial paper and we, and we didn't in 2008 and now. We, 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 you know, it's, we want to be ready for anything that happens. Do you have more or less now? Uh, where are we three and a half months later? Yeah, well, we laid out, you know, seven or billion plus uh, 
in terms of the pilot. And we spent $4 billion buying in stocks. So that's $11 billion that's gone out the door. But uh, uh, we'll know the figures and, you know, exact. But I think we're probably up on cash and, and, and treasury bills. Yeah. Just because more keeps coming in? The money comes in every day. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we earn in the neighborhood of something over $100 million a working day and a little less than uh, that for all calendar days. And that money comes in and, and uh, uh, we spend the money that we had for depreciation. We don't talk about EBITDA or anything like that, a crazy thing. But, but we have a lot of money coming in and the float grows in insurance and, and, and we'll continue to have a lot of money coming in and we'd love to deploy some of it. We also want to have enough money around so that the worst can happen and we're not, we're looked at as an asset to the United States recovery rather than a, rather than a, something that caused uh, the problems of the economy. And would you say you're doing anything differently at this point, just in terms of, all right, you're not going to worry about economic... No, no. We haven't changed. We don't change our what we're doing in terms of trying to improve the railroad or what... It, 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 they don't want to... I don't want to give economic forecast to our managers to how they run their business. I just wanted to make sure that they have happy customers and, and that they have their cost effective and that they behave good citizens, but that they, you know, they ask me and before they spend a lot of money in terms of capital allocation. Next on Squawk Pod, Warren Buffett on the economy, artificial intelligence, Bitcoin, yep, he still hates it, and how he and his vice chair, Charlie Munger, keep going. I've gotten a 92 with the habits of a six-year-old, and so far it's working. Charlie's 99, and he doesn't need any better than I do. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. We are continuing our conversation with investor Warren Buffett, and we start this excerpt with stubbornly high inflation. The rise in consumer prices over the last year has bedeviled the economy and the central bank. The U.S. Federal Reserve has aggressively hiked its benchmark interest rate nine times for a total of 4.75 percentage points. That is the fastest pace of tightening since the early 1980s. 
Officials initially dismissed inflation as transitory, expecting it to fall as COVID pandemic-related factors dissipated. But they were forced to play catch-up as price increases proved exceedingly durable. Today's read of the Consumer Price Index, which measures a basket of consumer goods and services, showed a month of March increase of just 0.1%, possibly a sign of cooling in red-hot inflation. Becky Quick takes things from here. Warren, what do you think? Well, Becky, uh, on Good Friday, I was working. Mark Millard, who handles all the bonds and stock trades for the whole, for all of Berkshire, uh, was there. And uh, I knew I was leaving town on, on Sunday night. And Mark says, what do we do next week? And I said, here's what we do. And uh, on Monday, we always buy treasury bills. We bought about $2 billion of them. We got a four ninety nine. dollars uh, percent bond equivalent yield. And, but the, the only question is whether we buy three months or six months. And, and, uh, and I tell him, use his own judgment uh, on that. So Monday, I was here, and he sends me a sheet as to what we did. And uh, I don't change anything. Tuesday, he does the same thing. And uh, net, we happen to be a net seller of 300 and some million dollars, but we could have been a net buyer of 500 million in, in stocks. And uh, and uh, I am not going to, I'm going to be traveling tomorrow, or you know, he's going to be operating in, on Wednesday, and I'm not changing any instructions to him. He's going to keep doing what he's been doing. I mean, I, we don't make our decisions as to whether to own part of a company for the next 20 years. Uh, we, we don't have any idea what, what anybody's going to do next week or next month. And when I was buying Berkshire in between 1962 and 1965 of control, uh, it didn't really have anything to do with it. You know, all kinds of things were happening in the economic markets all the time. And I, but we haven't changed our course, you know, in 58 years. And, and we just want to buy good businesses, run by people we like and trust and, 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 at a decent price. And, and we'll keep doing that. And we'll keep buying treasury bills every, every Monday. And, and we haven't missed a Monday yet. And, uh, and we keep all our money short. And we keep it in treasuries. And we were getting four basis points, which was $40 million on $100 billion worth. And now we get almost 5%, which is $5 billion. So we've got 100 times the earnings. <laughs> but it doesn't make any difference. I mean, that is there to be, to be the strongest company you can imagine. And, and, and also to take opportunities when they come along. But Mark, if you're listening, just keep doing the same thing you were doing yesterday and the day before. <laughs> and, and I could go away for a I could go away for a couple of weeks and I would tell them, here's what we want to do on the buy side, here's what we want to do on the sell side, and just keep doing it. And, uh, and that's what we do. And, and, uh, and some periods, there was a period about a year ago, I mean, when incredible volumes were. We, we bought 20% of a company uh, that already the index funds owned you know, 25 or 30%, Dodge and Cox owned 10%. We bought 20% of a company. That, in a month or something like that. Now, accidental, is that? Yeah, it was yeah. accidental, and, and, and we, did, we were doing other things too. But now it's a different kind of market, and we can't acquire at the same if we're, if we're buying an accidental or if we're selling something else. But we'll just keep doing that. That's what we've been doing for 58 years. And, and I can't tell you what the Fed was doing when I was buying Berkshire day by day or week by week or month by month or year by year. We were buying Berkshire, and you know, and we've kept buying things. And we we don't we don't make stock market guesses, and and uh, we don't we don't know how to profit by looking at at broad statistics and the, 
and guessing what stock markets no, or bond markets will do. But you have said that you do pay attention to interest rates and that interest rates are like gravity on equity prices. There's no question about that. I mean, so where's you, the level of gravity? Are we on the moon? Are we on Earth? Well, we're we in a way different position than we were when the, essentially what the, op, the option was to get four basis points on, on bonds, and that changes the value of, it changes the value of real estate, changes the value of, of equities, it, it changes everything. But that's all happened in my lifetime, various ways, all the way up to a 21.5% prime and down to zero, which nobody thought we would ever get to. You can read the economic textbooks of, of well, by Paul Samuelson, you know, a wonderful man. And, and it's a 900-page textbook that every kid went to school with, and you look for negative interest rates in the, in the index, and there's not a word on it. I mean, so anything can happen. And we were prepared for anything, but we like to do things. Over time, we want to buy good businesses. It's that simple. And we always want to have money. Andrew's got a question, too. Andrew? Hey, Warren. Uh, this is actually a question that sort of moves where the economy may go. And it's a question around technology, uh, which is, I, I know, a, a space that you don't always want to go to. But I also know you're, one of your best friends is Bill Gates. So I'm curious if you guys talk about it. We keep talking about ChatGPT and potentially how that could transform AI, how that could transform our economy in the future. And obviously, there's also lots of questions about whether uh, AI is, is dangerous and we have the right policy set around it. And I, I was curious if you've given much thought to any of it. Well, I, I think it's something I don't understand at all. But Bill did come by about, I don't know, four or five months ago. And he said, you know, I'm going to show you the, the latest thing, what, what can be done. And, and then he, you know... I, I actually said, uh, take the song my way and write it in Spanish and, you know, and, and uh, uh, have it encompass my views on what's funny and, or, or what's likely to happen in the economy. And two seconds later, you know, it comes out and it comes out that rhymes and does all these wonderful things. And, and, uh, uh, but he told me, he said, he said it can't tell jokes, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, it just doesn't know how to tell jokes, but it can tell you. It's read every book, every legal opinion. I mean, the, the amount of time it could save you if you were doing all kinds of things is unbelievable. But what I said to Bill is, I, I said, just let me know uh, what I can ask it. You know, how are you going to how, how are you going to ruin the human race? And uh, uh, and uh, and then let me know someone unplug it or whatever I have to do at that point. And of course, I'll be programmed so that nobody thinks they should unplug it or something. So I don't really understand it. I think it's an incredible technological advance in terms of showing what we can do, but I don't know whether we know what, what happens. And I was listening, uh, um, who was it the other day that was... Knows a lot about technology. He just says it, you know, it scares him. Well, if it scares him, it scares me in terms of the possibilities of. I mean, we we've done amazing things. Like we figured out how to create an atom bomb back in 1945. I didn't know what an atom was or anything, but Einstein told me it was going to change the world, and it changed the world. So I I don't want to change the world too many times without knowing, having some idea of the consequences of it. And this I think this is extraordinary, but I don't know whether it's beneficial. Was it Steve Wozniak? Pardon me? Was it Steve no, it Wozniak? No, it, it, uh, it was um, uh, Eric Schmidt. And he uh, uh, was he just, Eric was saying, you know, we don't know where this takes us, and maybe we ought to pause for a while. Well, I don't know 
one hundredth of one percent about physics or anything else that, that 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 Eric knows, but I come to the same conclusion. I was thinking about this with you, with you, Warren, and I know your views about Bitcoin. And I've been very surprised at how Bitcoin's come back up to close to thirty thousand dollars again. You know, when you go back to uh, the tulip mania, tulip mania went from sixteen thirty four to sixteen thirty seven. Only lasted three years, and here we have. If you're right about Bitcoin, something that's now lasted something along the lines of 15 years. And so I'm, I've been trying to understand if, in fact, you're right. And this is um, not just rat poison squared, but it's not is not a thing when it would be unveiled as not a thing. That's predicting when speculation will end or, you know, when the gambling instinct will go away and when more people want to get out than are getting in. And I have no way of... If I thought I was good at that, I'd figure out a way to make a lot of money and different things. I, all I'm trying to do is buy good businesses. But I, the one thing I know is I, you know, I didn't like chain letters when I was a kid. I thought, why in the world should I send along a chain letter the next time when I could start my own? I mean, I've seen people do stupid things all my life, and and I, I and I really I empathize with that. I mean, people like to play the lottery. They're going to get sixty cents back on the dollar or whatever the number may be, and and states. Essentially, the numbers racket was something that you avoided. And then the government decided it was a source of revenue. And it's, it's very hard to tell people that, that if they're going to put a tax on essentially a, 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 a sure loser for society, for the, for the gamblers on the lottery on the whole, but they, they're, they're appealing to the gambling instinct. And, and uh, you know, it spreads... I mean, people love the idea they're going to make more money tomorrow. And it really drives them crazy if their next door neighbor is making a lot of money not knowing what they're doing. And they're just sitting there and their spouse is saying, you know, why is that guy getting a second car? And why, why are we missing this whole thing? And the gambling instinct is so strong. And, and you had millions of people that were getting checks in the money. And sitting home and finding out that they could have a roulette wheel in their house and they had all the appeals of gambling and that, that, that are used to get people to go to Las Vegas and you can do it in your home and they had money. And, and we've had an explosion of, of, of gambling, essentially. And, uh, and, and, you know, I like to bet on a football game. If I'm sitting in Washington, it makes it more interesting. But I, I don't think I want to make a a living trying to bet against the house ever. <laughs> I want to, if, if I were to get into gambling, I, I would want to own the roulette wheel and not be a roulette player, but, but uh, we haven't done that. But, but people all the time, well, actually on my, on my honeymoon in, in, in uh, my first marriage, you know, we're talking when I was 21 and we went through Las Vegas population, about 20,000, a bunch of fellows from Omaha, uh, and other places that bought the Flamingo after Bugsy Signal <laughs> met his maker sooner than he expected. And, uh, uh, and they welcomed me in because they all knew my Uncle Fred. And I looked at all these people who had flown thousands of miles to do something unintelligent as fast as they could. I mean, they just, they couldn't, you know, they thought the dice were hot or something like that. And I thought, you know, I'm going to get rich in this country. I mean, if, if that's what people do, uh, I... I, I can be smarter than that. I mean, and, uh, so uh, I've watched it ever since, and it's fascinating to me. But the gambling urge is so strong throughout the world, and now you've created the perfect condition for it, 
where states are legalizing gambling and you know what it does to to football games. I mean, particularly if it just you're just point shaving, you know, which uh, you know the guy gets offered a million bucks, and it's like you know the the White Sox were back in 1920. Or you know, they did it for a few hundred dollars, but and you aren't even throwing the game. I mean, you're just you're just making sure that the, the spread is met. It's I don't. I, you're not going to change the gambling instinct, but when the state has started sponsoring it, it's given a, a it's given a different a, 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 there's a different climate than before. You think that the idea of this legalized gambling and it's spreading in the states and everything that's happening right now, you think that's changing the games? You think there is there are situations where the spread's not going to be made, and it's because. Somebody is is doing it. They've, they've been paid well. I think off. everybody in the country spent all their time gambling. You know, flipping coins against each other. Uh, you know, somebody would win twenty times in a row. You know, every what million times or something like that. You have three hundred thirty million people doing it. You've got three hundred thirty people that have called a coin flip correct or something. I mean, the urge to participate in something where it looks like easy money is. It, it's it's a human instinct which has been unleashed. It's always there. I mean, and, and uh, when my dad was in Congress in the in, in, in the House Office Building, I could go to the elevator and yell "Sammy," and a guy would come up to take numbers bets, which were illegal, you know, on the fourth floor of, of the House Office Building. And it, it's people love the idea of getting rich quick. I don't blame them, but uh, I. I've always wanted to get rich slow, and I have a lot of fun along the way. But but I don't. I'm not immune from it. I've, I've been on football games. I made one wager in, 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 at, at the sports book in Nevada, and, and I was out there with a couple of friends, and and I went up and bet on Nebraska against it. And about ten people got up behind me and said, "I'll have what he's having." You know, it's going to make Ryan <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> and so they had a very unbalanced book when they got through that day, and I got five hundred. I, my 550, and I made a profit of 500. <laughs> and I had somebody else cash the tickets. So nobody that's that's. I just uh, it, it, it's so human, and once unleashed, you can't put it back in the bottle. And something like Bitcoin, uh, you know, it is something. It's a gambling token, and it doesn't have any intrinsic value. And and you know, Larry Summers was on a week ago and said that it doesn't have any value. I mean, it doesn't have any value, but that doesn't stop people from wanting to play a roulette wheel and think that if there's 37, you know, one zero and or double zero, that uh, doesn't make any difference. Yeah, it makes a difference, and it's just question how fast it eats up your money if you spend the rest of your life just spinning around roulette wheel. But they feature the winners and people get excited about it and that's why the slot machines make a lot of noise when they're paying out. Uh, I, I don't know I don't know how to turn back the clock on that. Let's talk about some investments that you have placed wagers on and maybe switched your wagers. Um, Taiwan Semiconductor is a stock that showed up in Berkshire's holdings in a big way a couple of quarters ago and then a quarter later most of it was gone. Yeah, that was me. That wasn't one of the two other guys. There's two other people that make decisions. They each run about fifteen billion dollars. And sometimes they get confused with me. They step off as buying this or not and it's one of the two other guys. But that was my decision and and I think Taiwan Semiconductor is one of the best 
well, it's the best in that field and it's one of the best companies in the world. It's a fabulous enterprise. And uh, Apple buys a lot of the products from them. I mean, they, they, they're good and they're coming to the United States and we're, we're actually, I think, maybe even building for one of our subsidiaries, helping build facilities for them. But I do think that, that uh, they, there is a danger there to some, I don't have any idea, there's actually a danger of seismic action, I mean, and, 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 and where they're located. But that's a low probability, and they, you know, they, they're smart people. That, but would I rather have it that was a U.S. domicile company than, than be a subject of who knows what, depending on conditions outside their control? I'd rather, you know, I, I, I reevaluated that part of it. I didn't reevaluate the business, the management, or anything of the sort. It is a fabulous company. Uh, and, you know, it, uh, you reevaluated the geopolitical risk yeah, from China sure, sure. stepping in yeah. to, to Taiwan? Yeah. I, I think there isn't any question that conditions change. I just don't know what the results of conditions changing. I mean, China and the United States are going to be superpowers. You know, as long as your children live, and you know, and and they will always compete with each other, and uh, and they should, and you can't let it get out of control, and you can't have accidents and all sorts of things. I mean, that it, uh, it, you know, it it it's a dangerous world. If you're concerned about China and what that might mean for Taiwan Semiconductor, are you worried about what it would mean for your largest holding, Apple? Because Apple does so much of its yeah. business there, both in terms of manufacturing and sales. Well, I weigh that in, but but Apple is, you know, it, uh, uh, if somebody, if if you're an Apple user and somebody offers you ten thousand uh, dollars, but the only proviso is you'll never be able to, they'll take away your app your iPhone and you'll never be able to buy another, you're not going to take it. Uh, if, if they tell you if you buy another Ford motor car, they'll give you $10,000 not to do that. You'll take the $10,000 and you'll buy a Chevy instead. I mean, it, it is, it's an incredibly valuable uh, utility. It, that doesn't mean that it can't be misused by kids and Tim Cook cares about that. I mean. The, Everything can be used. Fire can be misused. I mean, they're, they're, uh, but I think that Tim Cook is the, one of the classiest CEOs. I mean, he understands the business, and he is, has a product which Steve Jobs basically invented. But Tim Cook has managed that company in an extraordinary way. And, uh, uh, you know, I... I love, you know, we've got a hundred and whatever we got, we've got nine, nine hundred million plus, nine hundred fifteen million shares actually. And, you know, it's, it, but people say, well, isn't that a lot of money to have? Well, we've got a railroad worth a similar amount. We've got a utility business worth a similar amount. I mean, it's a wonderful business. How the hell could, we can't develop a business like that. And so we own a lot of it. And, and, uh, and our ownership goes up a little bit every year because they buy in their stock and, and, and Tim does not issue it, he buys it in, and, and we love it. Meaning you're not selling any apples? Oh, I, I, no, I, I, there was one period, actually, from a tax standpoint, it was a good idea to sell some. We sold some 
around 115. Uh, and uh, it was a dumb sale. I mean, in the end, now uh, we could sell the tax situation some other way. And uh, uh, we actually bought a few shares last year. We got a little, few more shares when we bought we bought uh, Allegheny Corp because they had some of the portfolio. I only kept two stocks they owned, Berkshire Hathaway and Apple. They happened to own. They had 20, I don't know, 27 stocks or something. They're all gone except for those two. Uh, so I, we will never own a business that makes so many people happier and useful for them. And, you know, you probably got 20,000 photos up there and that, and it, Apple, what Steve Jobs did with that, and other people can do other technical things. And I don't know whether I'm, when I look at my iPhone, I don't know whether there's some little guy inside that's doing things. I don't know the technical aspects at all, but I know that at the Nebraska Furniture Mart, if we don't have the Apple product, people leave the store and go someplace else. And, uh, you know, I've just stood there and watched people and, and talked to the people that sell our, our various products at the furniture market, and, and uh, you know, whether they're old, whether they're young, whether, they, you know, uh, uh, they want to have it. And, and lots of people have multiple uh, products. They, they have, they have uh, they've been come up with just one little addition after another. And who, the, who knows what they come up with additionally. But Tim Cook has managed that business. Uh, Greatest managers, obviously, in history. Let's talk about another company you own that has uh, a major China presence. In fact, that's its only presence, BYD, right. the electric car company that you've owned for a very long time. Um, you've been selling some of that. Why? Yeah. Well, we've been selling it because the company, our interest in it's being valued at, I don't know, at, well, the interest we had is being valued at, you know, six and a half billion, whatever it may be. And, and, I think it's an extraordinary company, and I think the fellow that runs it has run it right along ever since we purchased it, I don't know, 14 years ago or something. Is an extraordinary person, been over there, visit, uh, but, but I think that uh, uh, we'll find things to do with the money that I'll feel better about. Um, but we haven't, we haven't sold our BYD by a long time. We're not in a hurry about something like that, but, but uh, uh, my job is to allocate the capital and within Berkshire Hathaway the way I would do it for my sister because she is a big shareholder and, and, and that's the way I feel about all the millions of shareholders we have. Very quickly, can I just ask you about Paramount? That's an, another uh, Berkshire investment that's been a relatively new one. Um, is it because of streaming? What, what, what happened? Streaming, that, you know, is not really a very good business. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, uh, the people in entertainment have made lots of money. The shareholders really haven't done that great over time. And uh, uh, it's applied to many, it's a, it's a glamorous business. And, and uh, I had some friends in Hollywood, you know, and they, they look for pigeons, you know, <laughs> and they find them. I mean, it's like, it, it, it attracts people. And- uh, You mean suckers? It's a great way to meet girls, you know, for all I know. I mean, but, but the, uh, it isn't fundamentally that, good a business, whether it was distributing, producing movies or, and, and you've got some people that have got deep pockets that aren't going to quit. And the product they're offering people, the chance to watch all those movies, you know, for peanuts and all that. But 
Can they raise prices? We'll find out. But so far, they haven't been able to. They've been able to attract subscribers, but they have attracted them at a terrible price. All right. You gave a whole lot of reasons why not to buy Paramount. Why did you buy it? Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, Warren, you are known for somebody who has the appetite and the taste of a five-year-old. You like hot dogs. You like Coke. You like uh, C's candy. Someone wrote in on Twitter and wants to know what you've been eating in Japan. Oh, that's, that's an interesting question. I, 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 uh, I have a Coke here, and uh, I mean, I had some Hershey Kisses before I came over here, and, and a few things like that. And, uh, and you know, I, I've gotten a 92 with the habits of a six-year-old, and so far it's working. Charlie's 99, and he doesn't eat any better than I do, uh, pretty much, but I just get more attention with my diet. And, you know, it, uh, I think... I mean, you know, you roll the dice. I've been lucky in life. I haven't really gotten that sick. And the only terrible things happen when people die or get sick that you care about. And if you can make a decent living in this country, you know, just been lucky. And, and, you know, I make all kinds of money because I'm good at some game where the crumbs of capitalism just fall off the table. And, 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 uh, and it, it, you know, what, what people contribute to society is not proportional. Somebody that you know, gives their life, fight in a war that they don't need to get. I always admired Hank Greenberg, you know, he can be a tough competitor and everything in the business, but he lied about his age upward in order to go in the army and he landed in Normandy. That, I mean, that is, that is really uh, something. So I've been lucky and, uh, you know, I, I always tell people I found everything I like to eat by the time I was six. I mean, I mean why, why should I pull around with all these other foods? I know all these people eat all these green things and everything, but if somebody told me I would live an extra year if I ate nothing but broccoli and a few other things all my life instead of eating what I like to eat, I would say take a, take a year off the end of my life and let me, <laughs> let me eat what I like to eat. But I don't really think it, because I, I think happiness makes an enormous amount of difference. And, in terms of, you can't measure it very well in terms of longevity, and I'm happier when I'm eating hot fudge sundaes or drinking Coke or whatever, me, hot dogs. Well, Warren, we are lucky to have spent the last three hours with you. We want to thank you for your time today. Thanks for inviting me. You invited us, but thank you. <laughs> From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Thank you for listening to our special Squawk Pod series, Warren Buffett in Japan, the Berkshire Hathaway chairman and CEO with our own Becky Quick. If you are a follower of Squawk Pod on your platform of choice, you have all three parts of this interview right now in your feed. This podcast is available for free on many platforms, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, we're pretty much everywhere. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. This podcast is produced by me, Katie Kramer, Cameron Costa, and Caroline Rahodas. Rafael Gonzalez edited this series. Special thanks to Becky Quick and CNBC Managing Editor Lacey O'Toole. And thanks to you for listening. Keep doing it. 
from their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.